1: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
0: Always so fascinating and interesting. He starts off the podcast telling me how he was in a Starbucks with a musket from like the 1820s. And I was worried he was going to get arrested, but he explained the whole thing. He's writing a book, The Year of Living by the Constitution. Previously, A.J. Jacobs, who is the guest, he's written Year of Living Biblically, Drop Dead Health, His Year of Living Healthy. He just finished the book and published it called The Puzzler, which was a great book. Uh, I highly recommend it. And today, we didn't just talk about the Constitution. That was actually very little of the talk because he can't talk about it until the book comes out a year from now. But we've got AJ's very strange and unusual recommendations for 2023. One of them, I'll just give a little teaser. One of them is called Ask Hole, And I'll let you hear about that in the podcast. Enjoy. Enjoy. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show.
2: I not? I was holding a musket in Joe Coffee. I because uh, I did an article that's actually now my next book that I am going to live by the Constitution as literally as possible. I'm the year of living constitutionally.
0: But you were holding a musket in Starbucks. Now, the Constitution doesn't require, it allows for people <laughs> to have muskets, but it doesn't require you to Not have a musket.
2: But, but I want to express all of my rights as much as I can. So it's all about expressing my rights as the Constitution
0: uh, writes okay, them. But I, the only reason I hone in on this is like, I didn't vote. And people tell me, oh, people died for your right to vote. That's the common response. And it's in the Constitution to vote is another response. And I say the Constitution gives me the right to vote. It also gives me the right to not vote.
2: That is true. Yeah. I vote surprisingly choice. does not talk much about voting in the Constitution, mostly because they wanted to restrict it to white males who own property. And they. Uh, so, um Yeah. Which you are a white man, <laughs> but actually Jews were not allowed to vote in Maryland until 1828. So there you go. Really? You're lucky you didn't live in Maryland. Well, now, I, was it actually was it I Jews specifically,
0: or was it just you know, white it was Protestant men? Jews,
2: Catholics, the, but they specifically banned it in the in the state constitution. The Jews, Catholics, Turks, and one other group that they didn't like
0: what so, about uh, Egyptians?
2: Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure they were welcome to vote any anyway. it's a good question. I'm going to look into it for you. How are you, James? What's going on?
0: Uh a lot of stuff actually, but I want to hear more about the musket and now here's the other here's the other question I have because
2: wait, is this I, on air or just uh, Yeah, yeah, chatting?
0: this is this is oh. recording.
2: Okay, great. Well, in that case, I um I can't talk much more about it without my publisher yelling at me cuz they said you cannot talk about it again until the book comes out.
0: So um, Well, let me just ask you this. Yeah. Are you allowed to hold a musket even if it doesn't work? Like even well, if it's like yes. out it?
2: There are law I looked into this cuz I didn't want to get arrested. Uh I you can hold a a musket is considered an antique unless it has the lead balls and the gunpowder on it and then it becomes a firearm and then you can get arrested now i do have the lead balls but i don't have the gunpowder because the place that i called for antique gunpowder you need antique gunpowder that had um blown up (laughs) they said oh my god we we uh our factory blew up so uh in a a few months so i'm still waiting
0: What's an antique? Does it have to be a certain number of years old?
2: That's a good question. I don't know what the, uh what the num but this one it, you know, I bought it online at like antiquesmusket.com and it is li- it is from constitutional times. It's like 1789 musket. It's it's hardcore. It was because- like you it was used in the war of 1812. It might have a- who knows what it did, but it's a piece of history.
0: Because I the reason I ask is I know someone I won't say who someone who may or may not be on this podcast who has a uh, uh, what is it like um, when you, you an anti missile like bomb thrower or whatever like a bazooka kind of thing from the Gulf War so I wonder if that's considered an antique <laughs> I'm not sure that <laughs> qualifies but I'll look it's into all, it it's all hollowed out though like it's impossible for it to work but
2: uh, yeah well that's I mean, my mom is is like, you oh, know, you can't have a gun in the house. I'm like, Mom, it would take me about 14 hours to load the musket, to figure out how to load it, to get the gunpowder. Like, I'll tell you, like this, you know, this mug, this coffee mug right here is more dangerous than that musket. You know, real guns, yeah, that can be dangerous in the house, but and a musket from 1789, I'm I'm okay
0: with it. So, okay, so we won't talk anymore. That's your next book. When, when's your next book coming out?
2: It'll be out in early 2024. Uh, so. Uh, a little over a year. A little over a year. I know it's the it's the year of living constitutionally and I literally don't even have a year to live it. It's like the 11 months of living constitutionally. So, it, so what, like what, this is what's the What's one more thing?
0: Like, like what's one other weird amendment that you have to like live by?
2: Well, what I'm excited about is, I'm actually working on this now, because, you know, the Third Amendment, number three, like, you know, this is top three amendment, is that you are not allowed to, um, I mean, that uh, troops cannot be quartered in your apartment or house without your permission, which was a big deal back in the 1770s. The British would just... You know yeah. their their soldiers would just come in and you know eat you out of house and home and they were rude apparently and they were uh, they were horrible. So, but I want to express my constitutional right to house soldiers as long as I give consent because that's what it says in the amendment. You you are if you you can house soldiers, but only if you give consent. So I right now I'm interviewing people in the military to see who will make the best house guest so that they can come and stay at my house for a couple of days and I can quarter some soldiers.
0: That is really funny. I think this is going to be a great book oh. on par with Living Biblically, your, your first classic.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, this one is, is I consider it, this is a sequel. I'm uh, That's the way I sort of conceived it as the sequel. And since the constitution is super timely and it, and most people uh you know aside from Donald Trump, who says we should get rid of it uh it it is considered the founding document of our uh, country, so I can't wait
0: oh you know it's interesting because what's the history of the Constitution in the sense that a it's it's like you say, it's the founding document, I think it's like the one of the oldest current government documents or constitutions of a country right now right are there any constitutions that are older in the world
2: no i think this is it i mean there's the uh you know the magna carta which i guess you could consider but uh, but yeah no it is because other other countries often go through multiple constitutions uh over the decades uh, so and this one is hanging in there it's hanging in there oh, for uh 200
0: well so, again this this falls under the A.J. Jacobs process. I once wrote about your pro- your writing process and we did a I podcast it. about it. Uh, let me see if I can find it right now. Because you this is like the formula for a bestseller, the A.J. Jacobs formula for a bestseller. And so basically, here's what I have. It's you pick a high stakes idea. So for instance, religion, health, gratitude, knowledge. These are high stakes, very broad ideas. You put yourself... In the story. So you don't just write, like I've interviewed people who have written about the constitution and explain the constitution. That's not what you're doing. You're putting yourself in the story, and it's through your story that we're able to understand. Like, for instance, you didn't just you, you didn't just write about in the Encyclopedia Britannica and about encyclopedias and storing knowledge. You read the Encyclopedia Britannica from A to Z in your book, The Know It All, which is one of my favorites. And part three is you go extreme. So, like, you don't just you don't just read a few things in the encyclopedia. You don't say this is the thirty weirdest things in the encyclopedia. You read the entire encyclopedia. <laughs> you you <laughs> it live is for a true. year biblically. Like, you take it to the absolute. You don't just have gratitude for coffee. You go down to Brazil and you express your thanks to the uh, coffee bean farmers.
2: Yeah. I, I do like to take things to the extreme because I do think that that's very illuminating. I I mean, what's interesting is, and you know this because we've done several episodes and hopefully we'll do more of good or bad. I think the world is very um, gray and full of everything's got its good and bad. Um, so I'm not very extreme in my beliefs. I'm not like, this is the only way to be. Uh, I'm actually... Try to be very nuanced, but in my projects, I do take it to the extreme because I think it's very illuminating to see what works and what doesn't
0: and 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 the the final part, which I think is really important is and is important for every book and every story, is your books do have the arc of the hero. so like in the art of living biblically. I don't know if you necessarily wanted to do it in the beginning, but no one else in your life really wanted you to live biblically for a year. Like, <laughs> fool your wife, did not want you to. I, I don't want to say she was against it because she wasn't. I'm sure she was very supportive, but there were aspects that were uncomfortable for her. Like, whenever she was having her period, you wouldn't sit on any seat that she had sat on. Exactly. That's in the Bible.
2: Right. Yeah. She did so, not so, love that.
0: But you get this call to action, which is you're inspired by something to live this high stakes concept of the extreme. You meet enemies and allies along the way, like you know you meet people. Like I'm sure you met rabbis and priests who helped you explain, you know, live biblically. But you also met an adulterer who you had to stone. <laughs> That's uh, true. You know, see, and and you confront bigger and bigger problems at these extremes. You know, like the problem with Julie, the problem with the adulterer, and then finally the end of every arc of the hero is you return. share the knowledge
2: i love it i don't know if i'm here
0: process for a bestseller
2: i love you you've cracked the code uh but yeah no i enjoy uh and and luckily like odysseus my wife was still waiting for me at the end which may not (laughs) may not always be the case but uh,
0: What, what would be another concept that you haven't done that someone listening could say, oh, I'm gonna do the AJ process and I'm gonna make a bestseller. Like what would be another high stakes? Oh well
2: concept? there are tons that I have not done, but that I, I've been suggested to or have thought about. One is that a lot of people suggest that I should become the greatest lover in the world and do all the positions in the Kama Sutra. And oh, I, my, actually, I can't
0: believe you just said that because I was thinking, I was just thinking that that was something you wouldn't do, but I could see someone wanting to try to do that, like the year of living by the Kama Sutra.
2: Right. And I would never, I mean, I actually did bring it up with my wife just to, to test the water. And she's like, absolutely not. Like, that sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with her. First of all, I'm too old,
0: very difficult.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm not flexible enough at my age, but uh, I think it's an interesting idea that Uh, I certainly don't want to read about myself doing it, but, you know, someone else might be fun. Uh, So there's that one. Um, Well, another one that we talked about on the air that I started, and I may go back to it. So if you're listening, maybe don't steal it. But who knows? You know what?
0: Go ahead. You could, go, go steal it. You're competing against the one and only AJ Jacob. It's going to be very <laughs> hard to steal it. Uh,
2: well, I think it's an interesting idea. It was just overwhelming for me and I couldn't wrap my uh, mind about how to do it exactly, but it was about the post-truth crisis. How do we know what we know? And so I was going to try to fact check everything in my life. How do I know that the world is round? How do I know that Julie, my wife, loves me. You know, she says she does, but I'm not in her mind. So it was a trying to fact check uh, everything.
0: It, that that's I, a real I, question because there's a lot of things we think we know or we take for granted that we know just because we've heard it over and over again. But like, if you asked me to prove to you right now that the world is round, there's no way I could do it. Like to me, just from my, if I go outside on the street, the world looks pretty flat to me. Like. Yeah, right. I can't see past the horizon, but I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just it's too far away to see. So <laughs> I I I wouldn't be able to tell you why. It would be easier for you to prove to me the world is flat than that the world is round.
2: Right, and there are experiments. Uh, I mean, there's a great documentary actually mm-hmm. if people want to see it uh, about the flat earthers and how they did an experiment to try to prove that the world was flat and it didn't work uh, and. They, I'm sure, they blamed it on the CIA or something. They had some excuse why it didn't work, but uh, it is hard. It is hard. I mean, most of our knowledge is based on uh, is secondhand that we get from experts. So the key is who, which experts do we trust? And that is something that's a very profound problem. And I think we've gotten into a huge mess because a lot of people are trusting, you know, Alex Jones. Uh, instead of a legitimate scientist.
0: But that's even like a nuance too, because, okay, Alex Jones is an extreme, but like scientists disagree with each other all the time.
2: Right, I mean, no, it's, a, it's a very challenge. few
0: things that are established science. Like we're seeing from the James Webb Telescope, all our theories about how the universe began are probably wrong. There probably wasn't a Big Bang where the universe began. Or if there was one, there was something before then as well. Like there was no beginning of the universe is what they're theorizing
2: now. Well, the basic rule of thumb I use, and it's not perfect, but it's sort of the Rotten Tomatoes view of science, because, yeah, you are going to get on any topic, you can get a scientist to say, oh, yeah, bacon is the healthiest thing in the world. Bacon is better than broccoli. But you have to look at all of the scientists and say, what are the vast majority saying? Now again, not foolproof because the vast majority said that the the sun circled around the earth um, but it's better than nothing
0: well, every scientific discovery, right before the discovery, the vast majority of scientists don't believe it
2: right, and that is the I actually think that's that is a feature, not a bug of science is that right. it's all about changing your mind according to evidence so a great scientist will let go of a hypothesis when uh, when they uh, see the evidence against it, even if it's something that they've believed and invested in all of their life. So that's good. That is a good thing about science.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and the question there really is, how often does it happen? So it's very easy for me to say, oh, every great scientific discovery happens the, the second after 99% of scientists disagree with it. But <laughs> how often does that really happen? If you take all of the things that scientists believe, it's a very rare, small number of things that they have to all suddenly switch. You know, For right. instance, washing hands wasn't considered healthy until germ theory uh, was proven in the 1800s. You know, Igor Semmelweis. Right. So, uh, uh, but that might be a small, in all of the things that science has proven over the years, that might be a tiny thing you know, you know, just one thing of millions. So we don't know.
2: Well, I do. Yeah. I mean, first of all, germ theory is one of the greatest things that ever happened to humans. Uh, And I guess it's, it's so counterintuitive because you can't see the germs. It sounds like magic. Oh yeah. There are these invisible tiny animals that are all crawling around your hands and you can get them off with some soap. That seems crazy talk. I remember, uh, Carl Sagan had a great quote about science where you have to have an open mind to uh, realize that sometimes the weirdest craziest things are true that nature is can be very weird but at the same time you have to have the highest level of skepticism when you're confronted with a new idea and it has you have to make sure that it passes all of the evidentiary tests. So it's a balance between having this crazy open mind and being really skeptical.
0: Yeah, I I agree. So, so okay, so the, the year of living truthfully or, or fact-checking, very difficult. Very, um, I mean,
2: it's, it's important. It's an important thing. So uh, how often, be... let me ask you this though, how often have you started a book? And like, I did that for three months. Have you ever started something and written for two months and then like said "This is not, or do you bet it so well in the beginning that you've never had that problem
0: Um, I've had it with fiction where mm-hmm. I would start like writing a novel and and I would write for two months or three months or or longer, and then I just wouldn't feel it anymore, and I would stop it with nonfiction because I have a different style than you. I write. What I consider stories about myself where I'm struggling with something very personal. And this is this is my story through this personal. So the story already exists. I don't have to like live right. the story. I've already lived it. And I've concluded this is a story that other people will relate to, like let's say going broke, for instance. And 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 that's how I vet. That's sort of it's not quite betting, but that's how I write a story. And then there's always a story there. I could always write those books.
2: Right. So you're telling me you don't go broke multiple times on purpose, that that is no. actually.
0: <laughs> right. The year of going broke, I'm going to spend the next year losing, not even spending, just losing all of my money. Probably if I tried to lose all my money, that would be the best way to make money. <laughs>
2: there you go. It would be like a producer's type thing.
0: So well, So, what is another thing that's a broad, general thing Um, Well, there's the kind of George Costanza, the the year of doing the opposite of everything I would normally do. Or or have you ever seen this novel, The Dice Man?
2: I love The Dice Man. In fact, a friend of mine is very into diceology. Like he does it with his life. Like he'll say, him and and his wife will say, uh, if we roll a one, we're going to go to vacation in Mexico. If we roll a two, we're going to go to... Duluth, Minnesota. If we roll a three, we'll go to Bulgaria. And they live by the die.
0: What about what about though? Do they ever how do they determine what questions to ask? Like, do they wake up every day and say, if we roll, you know, heads we divorce, tails we stay together another day?
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that is the big question. And that's what happened in the in the fictional version. Yes. The dice the dice man, because he like went to super dark plate, like he became a murderer. And uh, just a horrible person because the die told him to. So yeah, it's a very dangerous. In that sense, you've got to be very careful what you ask. But he loves it because it adds the spontaneity to their live, and and the, and they do things that they would never have done normally. Uh, and uh, and I think you know it's it's something to consider. His name is Kieran Harris. He wrote about it. If you Google Kieran Harris and Dice Man, I think it'll pop up.
0: Oh, it's funny because I I know other people who are obsessed with this book. Like uh, I know one guy who tried to produce it as a movie. He even met with the uh, author, and I don't know. He never never went through, but uh, well, it's a fascinating book.
2: What about going meta and like you would roll a die? Like if it's one, I'm going to put all my money into making a movie. If it's two, I'm going to kill the author. Whatever, something like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going to write a book about living the year of. Living the year of uh, in the uh, the year of living like the Dice Man. Diceily, yeah,
2: I know yeah. it is. I think it's a very interesting life hack. Uh, I haven't really explored it myself, but I, I I like the idea.
0: Someone's already written something in similar style to you, the year of living like Oprah. So they followed all of Oprah's recommendations Oh, oh right, year.
2: I remember that. I remember that exactly.
0: That was a good idea, and that was a bestseller. So by the way, we're recommending. The Dice Man. This, this is a podcast about recommendations going oh, into yeah. the new year. I, so I came up
2: with recommend- a bunch of recommendations if that. Yeah. I gave it some thought. So
0: let's hear one. But I am fascinated by the idea of what other concepts fit the AJ Jacobs process. <laughs> we, we determined the year of living like the Dice Man and the year of living by the Kama Sutra. Um, right. What about yeah. uh, like you're you're a Democrat? I know that, and I'm sure you're not ashamed to admit it. Uh, what about year of living like a Republican?
2: Yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, I have seen nice articles day. where people, liberals, swear to watch nothing but Fox News for a week, and uh, so I've seen that, but I've never seen a year of it. So uh, it's yeah, so,
0: it's so funny. It's so hard for people who are very polarized. Like I could wa- I could watch any news channel for a week, but for them, it's like a life-staking challenge to watch like a TV <laughs> channel. For a week. Like I I could watch Animal Planet for a week and I wouldn't care. Like, and I yeah. hate animals. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I forgot.
2: You wouldn't Well, let me tell you, actually, that is my my first recommendation is this app called Ground News. Do you know it? Ground News? No. Well, they have if you you sign Ground. up for it, Ground, G-R-O-U-N-D. I think it's a subscription. It's a so small, it's like a dollar a month or something, but they have this feature called Blind Spot, and they will tell you these news stories and tell you whether it's being covered by uh, the liberal media or the conservative media. So, like, oh, that,
0: that's fascinating. It reminds oh, me of um, there's a newsletter called The Flip Side, which oh. takes an issue and it tries to be as neutral as possible, to, tells you the Let's call it the blue side and the red side, and tries to be completely neutral. Just gives us it steel mans both sides.
2: Oh, I'm gonna get that. Well, this one, like, yeah, look, this is 76% the right media covered. Apparently, Shark Week lacks diversity, overrepresents men named Mike, scientists say. So that is a big theme in right-wing media. I've noticed is they love when wokeism goes, goes crazy. So people complaining about diversity in Shark Week is just right up their alley.
0: Um, How do they determine something is newsworthy? Like maybe it's quite correct. Oh, they're looking at things that is, are covered by one side, but not the other.
2: Right, exactly. So, oh, like AOC is under investigation by House Ethics Committee. That's 61% right-wing media left-wing media, and 21% center. So they they take all of the media and they divide it into whether they think it's predominantly left, predominantly right, or centrist, and then they see how many different sources are covering the particular story.
0: And here's here's one. FDA clears updated COVID vaccines for kids under age five. So that's being covered by the left, 63%, 0% by the right. (laughs) <laughs> and here's, here's the reverse. Here's the White House response to criticism of Greiner prisoner deal. The left, 18%. The right, 64%. So yeah. That's fascinating, actually. The I ground mean, news. Yeah, I, I like this.
2: Yeah, I. Know, there were all these stories that, since I read mostly, you know, the New York Times and NPR, which are traditionally sort of slightly left. Yeah, they were, like, I didn't know there was a big thing about um Biden and building something at his house in Delaware that was uh, a big deal I I don't know it was a scandal I didn't pay attention to it and I don't think it was a genuine scandal I'll, but again I should I should look into it more uh, but it was just no nothing in the left-wing media about it
0: oh wait this is what this one's fascinating and it's related to you actually in the ground news so um, you went to Brown University right
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I saw that. That was interesting. Yeah.
0: Brown becomes first Ivy League institution to ban caste discrimination. Is there actually caste discrimination? Is that a common thing at, like, colleges?
2: Well, I will tell you, I actually thought, I read one article on it, and I thought it was a good thing overall, because apparently there are a lot of Indian students. And according to this article, at least there elements of Indian society still, uh, uh, it's, it's officially illegal to have a caste system in India, but apparently there's still a lot of discrimination that the untouchables are still discriminated against. So I, I say, why not? Like if you're going to, uh, you know, if you're going to Talk about different types of discrimination. Let's get them all out there. I would go even further. I'd say like discrimination against ugly people. That gets so little coverage, but that God is damn so cute. We
0: got we to get rid of discrimination against ugly people. I need I to start know. having Wait, success. Oh, in life.
2: By the way, that dovetails into another one of my recommendations.
0: Facial transplants. <laughs> How did you know?
2: I love them
0: i have to say airbnb has changed my life i just love staying in airbnbs like in about a month i'm going to coco beach which is right next to cape canaveral i'm going to watch some rocket launches i'm going to of course be staying in a very nice airbnb on the beach and it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: I've started to watch a little more stand-up comedy, partly influenced by you. Uh, and there's, oh, have you ever watched, do you know Ramesh Ganathan? You ever hear of him?
0: No, no, Ronesh.
2: Ramesh, R-O-M-E-S-H. He's he's a British comedian. But I watched his Netflix special, Hilarious. And I tried to find like a couple of examples. And here's a, an example. I'm sure it would be funnier if he says it. But he says, I'm an unattractive man, but I have not gotten unattractive as I've got older. I've always looked terrible. So what that means is I'm liberated from the aging process because I'm never going to look worse. My life cycle looks like, like this. Look like shit, look like shit, look like shit, dead. I'm like, that's not
0: nice. He's not a bad looking guy, I don't think.
2: No, well, yeah, you know, self-deprecation is good for comedy. Oh, but he,
0: yeah, okay, go ahead.
2: He's very, I think he's very funny. I'm a fan. So Romesh Ranganathan. If you like stand-up comedy, check that out on Netflix.
0: And I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I'm going to recommend this to you. A a counter one is watch the the YouTube comedy special Jew by Ari Shafir. Okay. All you right. will die laughing. I swear to God, you will die laughing.
2: Writing it down. Writing it down. That's a good one. Um, oh, wait. I got another good one for you, which is Askhole. You ever hear of Askhole? No. A-S-K-H-O-L-E. So this is, you know, like those conversation starters, like uh, those cards, like you might have at the dinner table, like, you know, if you were a type of tree, what kind of tree would you be? So this is this is kind of like that, but really inappropriate questions. Not always inappropriate. Some of them are like truly offensive. And I have a high tolerance for offend. And some of them are too spicy for me. But
0: what's but, one? Well, I, I'm looking at this site right now. This is insane. Well, what's in it? What's one that's too offensive for you?
2: Well, I can't even say it because then someone will like clip it. You can say it, but I'll say ones that I actually thought were very uh, thought provoking. One was, "Of all the beliefs you hold, what will be considered barbaric in a hundred fifty years?" Uh, so I love to think about that one. And what That's a good th-
0: one. Oh but yeah. But here, here's one. Oh, okay. So if, well, oh, I'll, I'll answer that question. So what do I do now? That would be considered barbaric. Yeah. Um, Maybe using toilet paper. Uh, great
2: one. That is so like, gross. Yeah. Why yeah, would you do and, that? Everyone will, like, prob- Everyone will have a bidet. Everyone will have a b-day.
0: Yeah, be day or some kind of like, you know, invisible radiation thing that doesn't harm you but like perfectly cleans you.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I was thinking more like moral uh, as opposed to like disgusting. More like... Uh, oh,
0: okay, uh, moral on a moral level. I mean, moral is hard because... There are not a lot of things. I mean, there are a lot of things that are really bad and a lot of things that are really good. But most of the day, you're just doing your routine in your house or at your job, so you're not really you don't really have a chance to be, uh, moral or amoral, if that makes sense. Right. So I'm like, what 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 do you do that you think is ever amoral?
2: Well, it's more like I uh, I mean, the most common answer I've heard. To this is is meat eating that people will be like, I can't believe you ate animals. But it could also be um, euthanate, like keeping people alive who are in incredible pain. I think that's going to be like, what the hell were you thinking? These people wanted to die, and you're forcing them to live. Another one. But you're
0: you're talking about societal things. Like, what's something that you do that hundred years? Well, I guess eating meat you do. Right. And that might be considered barbaric. I don't think that will be considered barbaric, but 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 then in a hundred years, everyone's going to be eating stem cell grown meat, so right. nobody's going to have to kill an animal, which I'm so very yeah, excited
2: right. about. Like that is going to that is one of the few times where like a moral issue will just disappear. I hope fingers crossed. Well, one thing is, I have a housekeeper, and I think when you know we have Roombas now, but I imagine in like fifty years we'll have super Roombas who will just like walk through the house and Clint, like Rosie the maid. And people will look back and be like, there was a time where you hired someone to clean your toilet. Like that's pretty terrible. So, Uh, but
0: let me ask you a question like, like it's, it's also barbaric, barbaric the reverse because what does Rosie the maid do now for a living? Like you would rather have a Roomba than give someone a job to feed her family.
2: Well, it's all the question of, I mean, that's the big question about jobs that are unglamorous and a lot of people find horrible. Like, you know, there's always pushback when a job is automated. The question is, in the future, if all of the the really unpleasant jobs are automated, is that a better world? I think it will be. Like, you know, you'll find meaning in other things. You'll find meaning. Yeah. But but I do remember one of my. I love to read. Um, old newspapers. And I was reading one from like, I think it was the 10, 1910s. And it was about the the invention of the automatic uh, bowling pin uh, taker-upper, clearer. Because they used to have kids, you know, like 14, 15-year-old kids who would s- take the bowling pins and set them up. And it was a crap job because people would intentionally try to hit the bowling pin boys. Like that was the game. Like how when I go to a golf range, I try to hit the the truck that's trying to get the balls. Like people would just love to break the legs of these poor kids, but they were freaking out. They're like, I can't believe you're going to replace us with a pin, uh, with a machine. I want to be out there getting slammed in the leg by these bowling balls. It's my right So that's, I always think of that when I think of sort of pushback to automation. Well,
0: here's in terms of like, which ones feel, I feel like I wouldn't be able to answer for for, these ask whole questions are very interesting. So like if you're, if I was asked at a dinner party, if, if here's one of the questions, if everyone in the room were arranged on a spectrum of attractiveness, which two people would you be between? I would feel very uncomfortable answering that. (laughs) By the way, there's another one which I wouldn't feel uncomfortable, well, maybe I would, (laughs) answering. If you had to fuck a cow, would you rather be dead or alive?
2: Well, that one, I don't. I'm happy to answer that one.
0: Yeah, because it's kind of like a joke question whereas the other one, everyone's going to be personally affected by your answer.
2: Well, let me, I think there's some interesting ethical issues in having sex with a cow. Like, but uh,
0: if you had to, that had the to. ethical issue.
2: Right. Yes. You wouldn't do it. Volu- I mean, hopefully, most people wouldn't do it voluntarily. But I would say, you know, it, it all depends on whether the cow would find this something that it would be pleasurable, which is a very hard thing to figure out.
0: But if. It, okay. But that's, that's, would you, <laughs> uh, you know, F a cow? Like, if you, but you have to. And right. Well, you, your only choice is like there's a gun to your head. Your only choice is dead or alive. You have you well. That's to what say I'm
2: If the cow, if somehow we could figure out whether the cow would find it pleasurable, then I would go with the live cow because then I could, you know, at least be providing some happiness to someone.
0: Oh, I see. I but see. if yeah. it were, so in that case, if it doesn't,
2: goal. if it's like, uh, get away from me, you're not my type, then I would go with the dead.
0: What? So your, you, you, your answer depends on whether you would put the needs of the cow before I'm trying your own to
2: needs. be a nice guy and think of the cow's yeah. needs as well as mine. Because I'm, I, I I'm perfectly, I'm kind of agnostic as to having sex with a dead or live cow. It seems to me about as unpleasant either way. Uh, yes. So where would you fall on that question?
0: Well, <laughs> I, I, I did not think of... To your credit, I did not think of the nuance of whether the cow would enjoy it. Like, of course, I was going to enjoy it. That's, all, that's what I'm thinking. So, but, and then, and then if the cow enjoys it and you have to, okay, I wouldn't normally, if you have to, the gun to your head, there's a, there's a musket to your head and it's loaded. I would certainly choose alive because the dead has like more bacteria. It's, it's, it, 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 Good point. you know, there's, there's a lot of, you could get, you could get sick maybe. Right. Um, it's a hygienic question. So, see, look at, was, look was, at all um,
2: of the interesting ideas that this sparks.
0: Yeah. There's, yeah, depending on whether there's a spectrum of ethics, there's a spectrum of hygiene, there's a spectrum of pleasure. So, it, 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 yeah. So, ask Cole. This is really great. I've never heard of this. By the way, you like reading newspapers, you know, old newspapers. Have you ever been to newspapers.com?
2: Oh, yeah. No, I'm a subscriber. I love yeah, me it. me too.
0: That, I like reading old newspapers too. And you could find, the craziest things in old newspapers.
2: Yeah, I know. I love it. Like, what if, do you have any that you, uh,
0: Yeah, have a- um, and th- this is an interesting one. Everyone always says, like, including for these midterms, but like th- definitely for 2020, everyone was k- telling me this is the most important election ever. So, so I looked at newspapers.com and I could find, I looked up every election all the way back to as far as I could find, which was about 1824. And every single presidential election Somebody said, this is the most important election ever. <laughs> <laughs> now, they could one. all be They could all be right, because in 1828, maybe the election was more important than 1824, and so on. But <laughs> it's just odd that that's like a catchphrase people mm-hmm. use all the time.
2: Right. Yeah, I keep a little file of, I'll like read old newspapers. Here's one, for instance. I think this is from like 1904. It says, Whistling for half an hour after meals is the best possible aid to digestion. Try it, weak chested, slender throated sisters, and profit by my experience, said Mrs. Alice Shaw of Whistling fame. It's like, what the
0: hell? All right. That is definitely the Whistle diet plan. <laughs> now, this is like a business idea now.
2: Exactly.
0: In ancient business models from like 1910. Oh, and turn them into that is now. good,
2: that is good. Uh, all right, so that was that.
0: Wait, you know, I, by the way, what? it makes a little bit of sense, and I'll tell you why the whistle diet makes sense. <laughs> this is this is me making a pseudo scientific <laughs> argument for it. All right, that you know, I know that this science doesn't work, but I will explain it scientifically. So, when you're whistling, you're probably expelling more breath mm-hmm. than taking it, which is why people get tired after they whistle for three straight minutes, they need to breathe. Right, Um, And we all know that if you eat no carbs, you'll probably lose weight faster than if you eat a lot of carbs. So whistling expels more carbon from your body. (laughs) So if you do it right after you eat, it's as if you're expelling all the carbs you just ate. So it's a low carbon version of the no-carb diet. You heard
2: it. Dr. Altucher, you heard it here. I, that I is, am
0: a a scientist on Twitter.
2: That is flawless. <laughs> well, I will say, all right, let me try to defend whistling, which would be, you know, everyone loves meditation now, and it's all about being aware of your breath. And whistling is sort of uh, meditation with a little uh, pleasant noise. That's my uh, That's my yeah. argument.
0: All right. All right. That's... What is med- is meditating good for diet
2: though? Uh,
0: I'm sure you could make an argument. Buddha is pretty heavy in a lot of cultures.
2: Well, oh, that is true. I have noticed that. Well, but you know why? Because he he loves he savors his, he loves the joy of eating. So uh, you know, I feel that that is a Buddhist thing to enjoy eating.
0: It's either enjoy eating or not caring about gaining weight. It right. doesn't matter. Because the body, you're not really your body in Buddhism. Mm, I like that.
2: All right, here's one. Well, what do you think of stretchy belts? Do you wear belts?
0: I do not wear a belt, no. Oh, you
2: don't? Well, I You know
0: why? Because I tend to wear, I don't tuck my shirt in ever. Uh So if you don't tuck your shirt in and you wear a belt, it looks like this bulky bulge. On your stomach
2: interesting because
0: your your shirt is over the belt,
2: but the pants don't fall down. you don't feel the need to for some sort of support
0: uh sometimes, but then i I buy tighter pants then
2: see, I hate tight pants that's the difference i like. I don't
0: wear like tight tight pants, but I'll just or maybe I'm just like I'm thicker around the waist than I am around the legs, so the pants don't fall down. <laughs>
2: Mm. Uh all right. Well, stretchy belts. That's my suggestion to those who do wear belts. Beltology.com. Uh
0: I have stretchy belt. All right.
2: Oh, you know which one one I like is I got this from my constitution, but I'm allowed to talk about it because I don't think it's directly the const. But I've been reading a lot of the founding father and Ben Franklin, who I think is my favorite founding father, um he has You know, he has lots of life advice. And one of them is like, he was very into uh, uh, organizing his day hour by hour, which I like to do now as well. And he also said at the beginning of the day, you should ask yourself, what good can I do today? And at the end of the day, you say, what good was I able to do, uh, if any? And I think that's great. Because I do, I now do that every morning. I'm like, what good could Because that gives it a little. That gives me like a moral compass. Like, well, That is
0: really good. But let me ask you a question. Let's say, um, let's say you really wanted today to get better at tennis, and so you spent the whole day practicing tennis. Would you wouldn't would would you would that count as good, or you'd have to do something else to be good?
2: I think that I I use it in a very liberal way. So. I think improving something about yourself still counts as good. So even if you're not improving the world, you're still like, what good am I going to do today? I'm going to try to get better. I'm going to try to gain a skill and get better at tennis.
0: You know, I love that viewpoint because what you're saying is basically the world is better if you played tennis all day as opposed to uh, smoking crack all day.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Although I'm sure you can make the argument like, I am going to get better at smoking crack. But I, I think in general, yes, I agree with you.
0: Well, but getting better at smoking crack, most 97.8% of scientists would say that getting better at smoking crack is not <laughs> healthy for you.
2: Agree, agree. So I think, yeah, we're. I think we can come down on that, that playing tennis is better from a moral standpoint than smoking crack. I like it. I think we've come to an an important conclusion.
0: Yes. If if anything, we've just did some good today, which is we've convinced people to get better at tennis. All those people who were trying to get better at smoking crack, now we've convinced them to get better at playing tennis. <laughs>
1: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
0: I did it at the second year of a conference you and I once attended, the Mastermind Talks conference. Yeah. But I interviewed uh, Freeway Rick Ross, not the rapper Rick Ross is named after the real Rick Ross, who was the largest crack dealer ever in, and he was did most of his crack dealing in the 80s and he didn't know he was kind of in the middle of the whole Iran-Contra thing. But I, I did interview the largest, for, for this podcast, the largest crack dealer Wow. Uh,
2: Do you remember yeah. any takeaways?
0: Um, yeah. A, I remember he was really, really polite. Um, very, very polite person. Um, B, I remember that he was he delegated so well that even two levels below him, nobody knew who he was. Mm-hmm. Like, the police had no photos of him, so they were never able to catch him, you know, until many, many years of looking for him. Mm-hmm. That there was nobody who knew who he was, even though he was the top of this huge pyramid of crack dealers. Right. Uh, and the other thing I remember is that I don't think, I'm not 100% sure of this, I don't think he could read. Like, we had a a menu at lunch and I was sitting next to him because we were talking about the interview and he he said he was is is he was having a hard time seeing that day or or something like that. I forgot what exactly what he said, but he asked me to read the menu to him. Interesting. So yeah.
2: Fascinating.
0: Um uh, and then a few years later I think he did get caught again for selling crap, but I don't know what happened. I know he's I know he's fine, he's not in jail, so he probably didn't get probably wasn't guilty of anything, but I I just heard some story that he was involved again in something. But anyway, he was a very nice guy. I liked him.
2: Did you, have you interviewed people who then later turned out to be criminals, or like I know we don't know if Sam Bankman-Fried did any um, anything illegal yet, uh, so he, I don't think he would count. But did you ever interview him, for instance?
0: I, I've never interviewed him, although they did re- reach out at one point a few months ago and asked if I wanted to interview him. And we responded, yes. And then they said, well, would you want to interview the president of FTX instead? Who was another guy. Um, and it, it just didn't work out. I wanted to interview him. Right. but um, So if, so I, I could have answered yes to your question if I had interviewed him. But I'm trying to think. Jay, maybe you know this. Yep, that's why I remember. I think he's sort of your friend. I don't know if, if you consider him a friend. Maybe you are. You interviewed him twice and and oh, and then you found out from newspaper that most of his oh, story yeah, yeah. is like okay I don't want okay. oh. to say his name we did interview somebody who turned out to be a classic fraud and it was re- it was really a shock like you know I've I've encountered people like that a few times you know including Bernie Madoff who I knew beforehand and then you find, but but this one was actually like a good friend of mine And he turned out to be a total, like everything he's ever told me was a lie.
2: That is crazy. And
0: it was just so weird. Wait, can we go back
2: to the Bernie Madoff thing for one second? What do you remember from your meeting him?
0: Uh, That he was very, very nice to me. Seemed like a very fatherly, mentorly sort of person. Almost like he wanted to mentor me. Wow. Uh, And uh, he seemed very concerned about you know, his responsibilities towards his customers. (laughs) And so it's like, and the whole thing is like, you know, okay. It's so funny too, but here's what, here's the thing I remember the most is that when I was going to meet him, a lot of people called me and said, hey, can you put in a good word for us? We'd love to invest with him, but he doesn't really take new investors often. Wow. And each one of these people, it was more than one. And each one of these people, I called them after the whole fraud was exposed, and they all denied that they called me. That's And I said, I know a hundred percent for sure right. that you called me and asked me this. It's a hundred percent chance. Like I see your phone number on my phone, and <laughs> uh, and they're like, no, it's impossible. In fact, they wouldn't even once. They said we knew he was a fraud then, so why would we call right. you? Right. And then there's everyone said afterwards they knew he was a fraud. Right. But Nobody knew he was a fraud. I mean, maybe one guy did, and that guy was ostracized by everyone. Right? Um, That guy became famous for being ostracized for it.
2: And let me ask you a question. Do you think that those people believed what they were saying or they were just covering their butts?
0: I think they roughly believed it. I think maybe they didn't remember. And and that they, I don't think they maliciously believed it. I don't think they like, oh, well, I knew all the time. I think they were like, hmm, did I know or not? I probably knew. Right. And then they and then they doubled down on that belief.
2: I think we are so good at rationalizing. Like I am sure that yeah, fifty percent of my memories are just totally fabricated and self-serving. No,
0: but, but I think I think that's what makes that's part of what makes a good writer, which is knowing what you don't know. Because I could I could you know, one of the first signs when I'm reading a book, I could tell if someone's a good writer or not, is if there's a lot of ego in in the words. And like, I knew this, I knew that. You know, that's kind of an ego. Like you have to, to be a good writer, you kind of have to show that you're coming back from something that was incorrect. right? So you can't be about everything. You can't start off writing from a point of view that you know everything.
2: Yeah, well that is an, I, I will tell you, that was another idea that I discussed, at, and I decided not to do. But it's still an interesting idea it was basically about just what we were talking about how we have terrible memories uh so it would be almost like an autobiography but written as if i were um robert carrow of myself so i would go out and interview all of these people about myself and maybe i wear a disguise like a fake mustache and be like i'm writing a biography of a.j jacobs what do you remember and see how their memories matched up with mine, because I'm sure they are, many of them are totally different, and try to write almost a biography of myself.
0: Uh, the, the only problem with that is, is that a lot of times people will only say nice things because they don't want get to get back to you. Even if your, your fake you promises that, oh, it's never going to get back to AJ and I'll keep you anonymous, uh, people will probably only say good things.
2: Interesting.
0: Right. Because uh, one time, Stephen Dubner was going to write an article about me. This was before pre-Freakonomics. He, he was going to write an article about the psychology of money and focus it on me. And so he called a lot of people who knew me. And everybody, or at least according to Stephen, everybody said something favorable. When I'm sure they wouldn't have said something favorable if they <laughs> thought there was any chance he could get back to me. And the interesting thing is he decided not to write that article and instead he focused on, for the psychology of money, he focused on the topic, which became
2: no free way. economics. Oh my God. Unfortunately,
0: so he did not write about me in that for him. Fortunately for him, he did not write about me. And
2: <laughs> Yeah. You could have been the, that's interesting. An he sent me the universe. article though.
0: And it was very, it was very, it was a good article, but he never published it. Ah,
2: that's good. Well, yeah. I mean, that is a, that is a shame that, Sometimes, a lot of times, the publications don't want it if it's just too positive. If it's like, "Hey, here's a great guy," they're like, "Who cares?" Let you know, I want to read about Madoff.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, but he did. He ended up writing about what's his co-author, co-author's name on Freakonomics? I forget. Stephen Levitt. Yeah, see, he wrote about Stephen Levitt instead of me, who also is a much better human being than me. So uh, <laughs> I disagree. Uh, so, Right, rightfully deserved. He wrote about uh, Stephen Levitt instead of me. But um, <laughs> what's another recommendation you have? You're, all of these are so creative.
2: Uh, well, you know, I wrote a book about puzzles, which I talked about on your delightful show. So yes, there are. So some... I
0: recommend. That book, but what puzzles specifically would you recommend?
2: I actually was not a big fan of jigsaws because I thought they were kind of like you know uh, I was snobby. I was snobby about them. But there you are. Were an some... I was an elite, but there are some brilliant jigsaw puzzles, and two companies come to mind: Stave and Liberty puzzles. They both have woodcut puzzles. Stave, they're cut by hand. Liberty, they're they're cheaper. Stave is super expensive. They're like Bill Gates's favorite puzzle company. So, because you know, they they like go up to thousands of dollars. Liberty's a little cheaper. Um, But they both have these super tricky, they have pieces in the shape of, you know, they could be dolphins, they could be in the shape of uh, a wheelbarrow. Uh, Sometimes with Stave especially, he likes to, he called, the guy who started it calls himself Chief Tormentor, Tormentor in Chief, and he just likes to mess with you. He'll put in pieces from other puzzles into the box just to drive you crazy he'll have pieces that are too big or too small uh so if you like to be if you like some level of masochism uh then these really are some great puzzles to try
0: oh my god i'm at the website right now and these are beautiful puzzles
2: yeah they're gorgeous they're like painted and they are uh hand the ones on stave are hand i went to their headquarters and there's six people on what look like mutant sewing machines just all day and they don't have a plan they're just driven by the muse so they will create the no one puzzle uh, no two puzzles are like
0: and you know what the most difficult ones. so they rank them by puzzle difficulty and i'm right now i'm at the tormentor level and they're cheaper Than the other ones, it's interesting. Oh, and actually, there's there's interesting because there's holes in them. These puzzles, they're not like. So now I'm going to go to the traditional puzzles, and there are some. You're right. There's there's like a five thousand dollar puzzle here.
2: Yeah. No, I I did one for my book that was called Olivia. That he considers he calls it a bitch of a puzzle. He says it's real, and he won't sell it to you unless you earn it. Like you have to to get through the lower puzzles. Before you're, and, and it's so hard because partly there are 10,000 different ways you can arrange the pieces, but only one of them is the proper arrangement. So it is super crazy.
0: Oh my God. I I just found this, maybe this is his most expensive puzzle, Stavely Manor, and it's $7,000.
2: <laughs> they lent them to me. Thank God, because I couldn't afford to buy them as a as research. Uh, so I love them. But the good thing is, you know, a lot of people buy them, like, you know how, like you haven't, I, I don't have this, but if you go in with 20 other people and then you can pass it around.
0: Wow. this are, That's really fascinating. I never heard of them. What other kinds of puzzles did you really start enjoying, um, in your book? Well, you know, while you were doing the book, the puzzler,
2: well, there's, thank you for mentioning it by name. Uh, Japanese puzzle boxes. I don't know if we talked about that, but I knew nothing about them. But they are a huge obsession. There's like a whole cult of people who love them. And these are these are boxes. They started in Japan. They they can range in size from the size of you know like a, a necklace box all the way up to a air conditioner box. And they're made of beautiful wood, different kinds of wood patterns, and there's the puzzle is to open them up and there's sometimes Wait. a little surprise inside but really the puzzle the fun is opening them and and they're all these you can move little panels you can spin them sometimes you have to freeze them they're all of these creative ways that they mess with you and and there's actually a guy if you want to look at it before you think about buying them Uh, There's a guy named Chris Ramsey on YouTube who has millions of subscribers. And all he does is he opens these boxes and films himself trying to open these boxes and cursing and screaming. And
0: and, and, I'm not sure I understand, like, what, like you have a box in front of you, but there's no obvious way to open it, is the thing? Yeah.
2: It's well, sometimes. And actually, it was featured in The Glass Onion, which I know Jay saw. I don't know if you've seen it, the new one from the Knives Out guy. It starts oh, with a puzzle a box. So, yeah, there's no there's no openings. And you have to just mess with it for 15 minutes before something. Oh, look, if I push this tab this way and I push this up that way, then that opens this and then that drawer opens that. And uh, so, yeah, I, I suck at them because I am not a very spatial. No. I'm not a good spatial reason. You would probably be great at them because... I know chess, I think, requires some spatial reasoning. Would you agree or not? Yeah,
0: maybe, but these look pretty hard. I'm looking at the uh, website right now. Um, Okay, Japanese puzzle boxes. And I always keep thinking, because you've established this brand as an expert on puzzles, because you wrote a book called The Puzzler, you should make your own puzzle books now. Like, The Puzzler Presents, you know, 100 Crazy Sudoku Puzzles. The puzzler presents the hundred crazy X. I know. I want
2: Well, it's funny. I went to uh, this uh, weekend puzzle conference, and uh, and Will Schwartz was there, who's who's in the book, and he's a great guy. And he was funny because. that my podcast. Oh, he's been on. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, he, I, we, we got to sell our books at the conference, and I had, I just brought my book and was it, my one book. I mean, I have others, but I bought the puzzle book. He had like a table the size of like the Citizen Kane table of, because he has, I asked him, how many books have you written? He's like, I've written or edited about a thousand. I'm like, oh my God, he's a genius. I mean, because a lot of these he doesn't even, you know, have to work for more than like, you know. 10 minutes he made
0: yeah he doesn't make the sudoku puzzles like a you could have a computer generate them right it's just his brand is so good like and and to be fair he's a good curator of puzzles that's what he's done his whole life so he could pick the sudoku puzzles that are interesting to him and then he makes a book or crossword puzzles or millions of different kinds of like puzzles that he does. And, and I could see how he could write over a thousand books and just think that's a steady stream of income oh, yeah. from each book. Even if it's like, even if it's just averages $10 per book, that's 10000 a month. That's a living. Unbelievable. So, it's great. You, you should, I know. You should I got to get on
2: it. You are always telling me to be a better businessman. And, and I got Like it. you should
0: have done that with the family tree stuff. I have lots of ideas for your family know, tree stuff.
2: I know. But that's such
0: that's a big thing. That's why you have right. a
2: business podcast and I don't. So there you go.
0: Yeah, but that's probably why I go broke a lot. because I try <laughs> lots of different things, and then most of the, most things don't work. First rule of entrepreneurship: most things don't work. Yeah,
2: but some so, do. But some do. That's the key.
0: Some do. Um. All right. Any uh, Any other insightful recommendations? Uh. Let me. Let me see. I like all these. I'm I'm literally going to get all of these.
2: All right. I love it. I love that you are including Askall. Uh. Yeah, Askall. I highly recommend. What about TV shows? I did love the the Dairy Girls. You ever see that about the Northern Ireland no. girls? Hilarious! So check that out. I think it's on Netflix or who?
0: Dairy Girls. Dairy. D e
2: r r y, and they are a bunch of North Ireland teenagers uh, in the eighties, and they have the foulest mouths, uh, and they're you know just really. What made you watch? Deli- it? I had read good reviews. I mean, it is it is brilliant. I really, it's one of my favorite shows ever, because also you get to learn about this fascinating part of history, which was the 1990s, 80s, and 90s in Northern Ireland with the terrorism and the British and uh, army, and but it's hilarious at the same time. You know, in this horrible thing, uh, and and yeah, you've got. I mean, there's a character who's a nun who's just the the bitchiest nun uh, i've ever seen per- portrayed like she is just she's almost like crusty the clown like she is just so horrible but uh but delightful i am a big fan dairy girls
0: do you watch um severance on apple i have i'm
2: weirdly i was just thinking i gotta finish that i watched four episodes and i thought it was great what do you think
0: yeah, I thought it was great too. I, I, I watch a lot of TV, so I, I could just do a whole podcast about TV recommendations.
2: So, well, give me one. Give me one before you uh you kick Well, me I off. like
0: I like sitcoms and stuff. I like there there was a TV show, uh, Atlanta starring Donald written, starring, directed Donald Glover, who was childish Gambino. Sure. Also, you know, in his music life. And he also has written for the Jon Stewart show, and he's a stand-up comedian. Such a talented guy, and this is like the weirdest, most interesting sitcom. And another one uh, called Dave, which I think you would really like, about a Jewish guy who wants is out in LA and he wants to be a rapper. And- I
2: watched a few episodes of that one, and it was that it was hilarious, and it was yeah, it was so awkward. It was like Larry David, but re- almost like um, pornographic. It was like. He was so. I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about, but it was so. Yes. I had trouble like looking at the screen. It was and, so. Awkward. And I would
0: say season one was great. Like I loved season one, but season two was a work of art. Really, like, it was beautiful television. Yeah, it was. It was comedy, but there was a dramatic component that he learns about himself, and it's just really well done. All right, so I, I'm I thought, going back in. I thought Dave is one of the best sitcoms ever. Actually that um, is great. And then uh more recently I'm you know I'm not interested in westerns in horses and cowboys in Montana. I don't really think much of Kevin Costner uh, one way or the other, but put it all together Yellowstone was You'll a like really it. great TV show. That My wife convinced me to watch
2: it. All right. I've never seen that one either, but um I actually like history so I was more intrigued by 1923, or whatever the
0: oh, which is like the sequel to the prequel, but it's a prequel to Yellowstone, right? Exactly.
2: And then I got confused because Helen Byrne, oh, yeah. I then I got confused because there's a show called 1899 that was super popular, and I was like, oh, this is this is the one uh, that's about cowboys, and I watched it. No, that's
0: 1883.
2: yeah, whatever. And
0: 1899 is like some... Jay, Jay keeps recommending 1899 to me, and I haven't watched it yet.
2: That one is like Titanic meets uh, like uh, Lost, I feel. That was the pitch. Titanic ah, meets Lost.
0: I, I want to see that then, because I did not like Titanic, but I love Lost.
2: Can I just tell you who I think is one of the greatest villains in movie history? Tell me. Is Rose from Titanic. I hate her so much because... Do you know my reasoning? I might have even told you already.
0: No, no, well, we have not.
2: The Heart of the Ocean diamond, I looked it up like how much would it really be worth? And some gemologist estimated about what was it? It was like 200 million dollars. was 20 million or 200? It's some enormous amount. And she chucks it into the water because her dead boyfriend is there. As opposed to well, Selling it and donating two hundred millions to charity, where you could literally save th- hundreds of thousands of lives,
0: or that does sound to me like the worst villain in movie history. Thank you, I agree. That's worse than Darth Vader.
2: Yeah, because Darth Vader, like he wasn't he he thought he was doing good. Like he thought she was just like being thoughtless.
0: Yeah, so I have to interject yeah. a little bit. Like, the other reason why Rose is a villain, there's obviously enough room on the door for Jack to climb <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah, good point. I have point. heard that. I have Leonardo heard that. DiCaprio could still be alive today if Rose had just pulled him onto the door.
2: Yeah, I. it's interesting. I mean, that's, I feel that those guys from, um, what's it called, Mythbusters needed to do an episode of, like, Put the door in there and see if they they actually will float. Because if it's true, yeah, just another reason to hate Rose.
0: So, AJ, what's, what's going on in your life right now? Is it just all about writing this next book? Like every day you wake up and you think, hmm, what good could I do in the world? And how can it be related to the U.S. Constitution?
2: Yeah, it's mostly that. I recently, it's funny because you were emailing me that you're worried that we're going to be replaced by AI. And I recently wrote an article like two weeks ago for The Atlantic uh, about that because when my book came out, I Googled, I put it on Amazon. I wrote The Puzzler by A.J. Jacobs. And my book came up, but so did six other books called, and they were all called either Summary of the Puzzler by A.J. Jacobs or Workbook oh, yeah. for the Puzzler. Oh, yeah, I read that. So, yeah. And I was like, what the hell? So I ordered them all, and I kind of reviewed them. But they were all crazy talk. They were all a word salad of my book, reviews of my book, articles about my book, my uh, book jacket uh, uh, text. And it was clear that it was an AI that had done it, because they would take a word, and they would look for a synonym, like... Instead of calling it a barrel of monkeys, they called it a bucket of monkeys. And I was like, "Ah." Oh. so.
0: Well, but here, here's the interesting thing, though. Like, if you were to write, this is why the AJ process of writing a bestseller is so successful. Because if you were to write a book about the Constitution, I bet you I can use AI to write a book almost as good as whatever book you, it is that you write describing the Constitution. The history, what each amendment means, blah, blah, blah. Maybe even AI could even do it better. But the thing that is not a commodity is living an interesting life. An AI cannot make up your life and make it interesting. You have to live your life and then write about it. That's your process. And so you an AI will never compete with you or, quite frankly, with, with me, but it will compete with a lot of other writers. Well, that's
2: what I was just thinking. You are safe by that theory because, yeah, you write about – that's what's great about you is you write about your – Successes, but also your uh, your failures.
0: And but maybe what an AI could do though is read like all of your books and then <laughs> pretend to be you. Come up with an interesting. The AI can figure out the AJ process and say, "Hmm, I'm going to write by AJ Jacobs the AI version of the Year of Living by the Kama Sutra," <laughs> and then write it totally in AJ Jacobs style as if it were you.
2: I'll read it. Listen, if they can do what, can I read you one thing? This was. Someone sent me a GPT-3, which is the AI they had put in. Hold on. Let me find it. This is brilliant. Like, this scared me because it's so genius. He asked the AI to write a biblical verse in the style of the King James Bible, explaining how to remove a peanut butter sandwich from a VCR. So, that was what he chose. And he... By the way, my printer is going crazy, so I hope that's not distracting. So here's what the AI came up with. I won't read, I'll just read a couple sentences. And it came to pass that a man was troubled by a peanut butter sandwich, for it had been placed within his VCR, and he knew not how to remove it. And he cried out to the Lord, saying, O oh Lord, how can I remove this sandwich for, from my VCR, for it is stuck fast. And will not budge, and it goes on, and it's genius. It's like, it's beautiful, and this was all done by That's, an AI.
0: It, the AI is really good. You know, I've I've made this site where people could write their ten ideas a day down. You know, something I recommend in Choose Yourself, and it's a practice that I do. And so this site's called Notepad, N-O-T-E-P-D com. Yeah, I and love it. we have an AI attached to it, and you're allowed to, you know, if you want to, you could. If you're making an idea list, oh, 10 ideas for AJ, I'll write the ideas. And then I can click a button, have the AI come up with 10 more ideas. And it comes up with like great stuff. Like AI is better than ever now. It's incredible.
2: Now, I do, ha- I as part of my living constitutionally, I am taking fife lessons. And unfortunately, I have a fife lesson right now uh,
0: over Zoom. What's a fife? Like, is that like a flute?
2: Yeah, but it's the the fife and drum. It's the like what the colonists used during the revolution. It was uh, it was actually used in battle to tell people. It was almost like uh, a radio. The first, you know, the uh, it was like one tune would mean attack to the left, and another tune would mean attack to the right or retreat. So, um, so yeah, I'm trying to master the fife. But um, so I have to go, fifing. But uh, and I of course recommend the James Altucher show is my number one recommendation to everyone.
0: Thank you very much. I recommend all of your books, which I think I've stated repeatedly. This and AJ, thanks once again, and I look forward to the. Oh, let's we'll schedule a good or bad. We'll do a bunch of good or bads. uh,
2: Absolutely.
0: All right. Enjoy the fight lesson.
2: Oh, thank you.